Welcome to Escape Routes with Condé Nast Traveller. My name is Melinda Stevens, the Editor-in-Chief of Condé Nast Traveller US and Condé Nast Traveller UK, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey, and at Condé Nast Traveller we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. With much of the world currently grounded, we've come together to take you to some of our favourite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who penned them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light, and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. Hello, my name is Antonia Quirk and welcome to Condé Nast Traveller's Escape Routes. I'll be reading my piece on the island of Hydra, which featured in the June 2016 issue of Condé Nast Traveller. I hope you enjoy it. Sailing into the small, Saronic island of Hydra in early summer, the unrivalled colour I see is yellow. The port, a perfect horseshoe, backs into a high amphitheatre dotted with 18th-century mariners' mansions painted citrine and picked out now by the morning sun. It is a Rip Van Winkle town, cute warm and coiled around dazzling bright labyrinths of steep steps and slender streets. I arrived to hear that summer so far has been a flow of clear blue days and that Leonard Cohen was around last night handing out olives and ozu. As Cohen has lived here on and off since the 1960s, it's not impossible. But best ask the island's keeper of stories, harbourmaster Pandelis, about such things. Prodigiously bearded and continually harassed by sailors wanting a mooring in the snug port, Pandelis is being followed about today by the King of Malaysia. Apparently the King of the Netherlands is on the lookout for him too. Not that Pandelis demonstrates any favouritism. Standing in his small tug, yelling instructions to fishermen and kings alike, happy to park any one of them next to a semi-derelict vessel filled with nautical junk. There is no denying that in some months of the year, Hydra has immense glamour. In the high season, weeks pass when its port feels almost like a little Saint-Tropez, full of visitors lolling over the day's first glass of champagne. Other times you'll find only a few old men playing backgammon and smooching couples off the early hydrofoil from Athens ordering pastries for breakfast. On the cobbles... A line of donkeys waits patiently to carry suitcases up to hotels and apartments. There are no land vehicles on Hydra, not even push bikes. 
banned for all time. Hedriots feel about the wheel the way the Amish do about Velcro. They know of its existence and have determined that with it comes the fall. How wise this has proved. No wheels have meant no heavy construction or gigantic hotels. The island can never be overcrowded or spoiled through overdevelopment. And it has the atmosphere of a long-cherished and deeply quixotic place. A place far, far away, even though it's separated from the Peloponnese by just a narrow strip of water. There are no street names on Hydra either. You simply set off and see what lies around the next corner. A cafe, perhaps, in a bright square full of lemon trees, with pots of exquisite cold rice pudding spiced with cinnamon in an icebox. Or a sweet supermarket where the freezer bursts hilariously with octopus tentacles and the honey comes in tins stacked in a quivering ten-foot pyramid. I'm so lazy and hot. Hardier friends return from Hydra, trim from trekking across the island to the handful of pebbled beaches along the coast, although most people take a water taxi for a few euros. For centuries, ancient Hydra was nothing but an obscure pirate's lair, and you will find no temple ruins to visit. There is blissfully nothing to do really, save sleep and swim and order hot baked peppers and drink Retsina until your tongue is raw. Or perhaps take a turn around the mansion of a great patriotic seafaring family, semi-museums hung with the rapiers of daring local captains. Hydra has long attracted artists and art money, In cliffside galleries in June and July, New Yorkers show short films on the subject of dislocation to an excess of global super collectors, after which everybody troops off to a taverna and gets un-Americanishly drunk. The island seems to absorb this fashionable display of chatter and ambition and enjoy it enormously for a while – but is just as happy when everybody melts away back to Milan or to Brooklyn. But no activity on Hydra compares to a trip out in a boat. The island is only 50 kilometres square and completely riveting when seen from the water, despite not being particularly lush or landscaped with the comely vines and olive trees of other Greek islands. Still, whichever way you turn the impact from a boat is captivating. Late one afternoon, I joined Tassos and Eleonora, a fisherman and his girl, searching for squid on a simple cruiser. Chugging out of the port along the coast, we pass a popular bar on the cliffs where people are already gathered for sundowners, and moments later, the house where Byron once stayed. He wrote, On old Agena's rock and Hedra's isle, the god of gladness sheds his parting smile. Seer thistles and bright Judas trees punctuate the nearby shore, close to grand villas and more modest cottages overhung with harebells and gentians. After a few minutes, the distinctive landmark of a squat 
terracotta mansion in the village of Kamini that once belonged to a wealthy publisher, but is now used for storage and is full of buoys and ropes, and a defunct but magnificent glitter ball rescued from the sea. A little further along, we pass the chapel of St. Kiprianos, made from mud and wine, and constructed long ago in gratitude by the survivors of a terrible storm. And beyond that, a cove where five goats, almost mythically huge, really the size of Shetland ponies, play along the shore. Standing whooping on rocks, a group of kids watch a menacingly handsome adolescent known locally as Wolf Boy, freediving from a crag, arching his body like a rainbow and then sharply straightening seconds before impact. Everybody explodes in applause. What goes through your mind when you hit the water? I ask him one night after bumping into him on a dance floor in town. Pulling a mock dramatic face, he leans into my ear and he whispers, the full moon. Half an hour passes as we hug the coast. On the distant hills, I spot a house very high and white and alone. By foot, it would take perhaps two days to get there from the port. Pine trees, heat, cicadas. What happens when someone gets old or sick and they can no longer walk down for food, I ask. Oh, they just wait, shrugs Tassos, lounging with his arm around Eleonora, pausing for the optimum moment to drop his fishing lines strung with the fake silver fry so loved by greedy Greek squid. I don't know why my heart stands quite so still. It's only a house on a hill. But the patience, the peace. As the afternoon draws to a close, everything beyond the lulling shores is washed in a plumbago haze. The mainland in the near distance shimmers through a silvery curtain of atmosphere. Athens is just 68 kilometres away, although it feels infinitely remote. Even the pretty catch, now bobbing into view, seems... Almost a chimera, and plonked on the stern, a pot of basil, and above it, a bikini hung up to dry. Nobody seems to be on board. On shore, on the walk home, I pass the church of St. Demetrios, where there is an esteemed deacon called Manoles, who is chanting the liturgy in a voice so transparent supportingly Byzantine, that women are standing in the doorway, weeping into their hankies as I surreptitiously record him.
Hydra is the birthplace of no less than five Greek prime ministers and the first president of the Second Hellenic Republic. I've often wondered why this was so. This relatively barren rock with one town and a handful of hamlets reached only by foot or donkey. Some places are just like that. Powerfully and romantically unusual. Its current mayor, the son of a grocer, grew up on the island, but won a scholarship to read philosophy at Cambridge, returning home to be elected to office at just 36. I see him one day carrying a pile of books and he shows me a photograph of himself looking scholarly in his room at university. On the walls, just the Hedriot revolutionary flag. I go on a dawn mule ride up to the high monastery of St Matrona to take carrots to 70-something Sister Nectaria. Leading the little expedition is 26-year-old blonde Harriet, who came to Hydra aged 10 from Uxbridge with her mother and has the best-groomed donkeys and mules on the island. On the way, she tells me about a secret valley where, in the winter, feeling lonely, she used to hunt for quail and hare and where there is an ancient chapel that had long lost its bell. One morning, she met a man out hunting too, Vasily, a Hedriot much older than her, warm-hearted, and they fell in love. And he restored the bell in her honour. Now they are engaged, and she says they go to the valley together to listen to its peal. And she says all of this unselfconsciously, unaware of how absurdly enchanting it sounds. Vasily, brown eyes full of worry, dotingly leads our mules through banks of bracken and myrtle and masses of what looks like a wild, thorny buttercup hung with spider's webs, shivering with dew. Up at the monastery, Sisters Nectaria and Matrona, dressed in black habits and veils, have been awake for hours. They're the only nuns left here now. Across all of Greece, there is a crisis in recruiting to the religious life, and they've been residents since they were aged 11 and 14, when, consumed with heavenly duty, they walked up the hill to present themselves to God. Working contentedly at their sewing machines, the nuns are full of news about a rare trip to a hospital in Athens, where Matrona, homesick and bewildered, had to drag a mesmerised Nectaria out of the flower shops of Syntagma Square. Sitting on the courtyard wall, we drink tea and gaze out across the island, sky blue as an agapanthus, behind us, Dry peaks burn. Far below, the curved lick of deserted and glassy Mandraki Bay. Nectaria turns to smile dotingly at Harriet, nodding her approval to Vasily. We stole her from England, she rocks, patting Harriet's hair as it gleams pale in the sun. We took her and we kept her. Back down on the shore in peaceful Kamini, a short walk along the path from the port, I have what I think of now as the perfect Aegean afternoon, starting with a binge at the smallest restaurant I've ever seen. 
four tables and a menu of three dishes written on a chalkboard strung with dried sage. I am served fresh anchovies and giant fava beans and creamy slabs of cheese. Greece teaching me yet again that feta only ever comes one of two ways, either a salty chore or a thing you cannot stop forking until you faint. After lunch, a swim, simply stepping off nearby rocks into the sea. Far beneath my feet are sponges of such rare quality, Hedriot merchants sold them the world over for centuries, and they still come up from the depths the colour of caramel and smelling of kelp forests. Even Sophia Loren couldn't resist, clutching several to her décolleté after a dive scene in the 1957 movie Boy on a Dolphin, which was filmed here. Half the island appeared in it, and everybody still talks about it like it happened yesterday. Time on Hydra is relative, ever-deepening and drifting. For the rest of that lovely, lost afternoon, Camini is siesta-deserted, next to someone's abandoned towel on the rocks, a handful of fresh apricots. That evening, along the waterfront, there's the gossipy murmur of newly arrived summer crowds. The billionaire art collector, Dakis Ioannou, a long-time visitor to the island, has just docked in a fibreglass tank designed by Jeff Koons, enormously blue and yellow, steaming menacingly through the water like a cubist icebreaker. And then, soon after, a gentleman's motor yacht, the Mabruka, which had belonged to Lawrence of Arabia, enveloped now in the resin-drenched smell of a newly renovated ship. Girls on their way to a gallery opening wear Balmain dresses and sexy, fantastic green shoes. American teenagers on a tour of the Argolic Gulf, their pink skin glowing freckled as foxgloves, step off boats, daring each other and shouting. The lights of the port enrich and refine the many colours until way past midnight, when a low-hanging moon turns the sea to iron, and outside bars drinkers' faces flicker in mirrored oil lamps, somewhere between the waking world and the world of dreams. Much later, after cocktails and dancing to 70s Greek pop at a club on the front, I lose my way in the back streets. Because high buildings within the harbour protect the port, nights here have a drugging, whiny warmth and bursts of hibiscus everywhere, black-red in the shadows. Then, whitewashed walls and pretty apartments and squares of long-deserted Rococo merchants' mansions, shuttered and still. Without scooters or cars, the quiet on Hydra has a, a discernible pulse. Yet, from an open window, a little further along, comes the sound of John Denver's leaving on a jet plane, and I make my way down the narrow street to poke my head through. Salvaged maritime miscellany muddles the room, 
water-damaged paintings, chests and whistles, and Pandelis frying potatoes standing on hazardous floorboards. We both hoot at the surprise of seeing him in a house rather than yelling from a harbour wall. Oh, Pandelis, I say, dig out those photos of Sophia Loren. Pandelis was an extra in Boy on a Dolphin when he was ten, an experience he speaks of rarely, as though such precious memories ought to remain shrouded. On the cabinet by my head is a formal portrait of him at around that age, wearing a little white peasant's smock. But Pandelis waves me off. It was her body double, he tuts, as I duck away. She was much more beautiful. Her body double. Then it's just the cobbled street and a waiter sweeping mounds of purple blossom and squashed figs. This podcast is sponsored by the Greek National Tourism Organisation. From slow-living islands to cutting-edge cities, Greece is an amalgam of breathtaking landscapes, sandy beaches, mouth-watering food and wine, and centuries of culture. It is an all-time favourite holiday destination, steeped in myth and legend. For more information, see visitgreece.gr forward slash inspirations forward slash all dash you dash want dash is dash Greece. We hope you enjoyed our Escape Roots podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us in the charts and ensure you are the first to hear about new episodes.